By the way, Mugiv co-host to the both of you. You can start now, James. Okay, so hello everyone. My name is JP from the Carolina Physics and Astronomy Society. And welcome to the seventh installment of this webinar series where we will answer the question, Saan naabot ang physics degree mo? Before we start, I would like to thank our sponsors, Edward Kaluya and Claude Siniza for sponsoring this webinar series. Today, we are joined by Ms. Rosa May Bellarmino. She fi finished her BS, BS in Applied Physics degree at the University of San Carlos under the Medical Biophysics Group in 2014. She proceeded on to take MS in Medical Physics at the University of Santo Tomas and did her research at the Instrumentation Physics Laboratory at the National Institute of Physics in UP Diliman. During her graduate studies, she also served as a college instructor in USD, then later worked at the National Kidney and Transplant Institute. Ms. Bilarmino has also worked at the Cebu Doctors University Hospital as a medical physicist. At present, she is a health physicist for the Cancer Center and Nuclear Medicine of the Vicente Soto Memorial Medical Center, where she is also undergoing her clinical residency. As a medical physicist, she assists in the application of radionuclides for diagnostic and therapeutic procedures maintains the quality program of medical instrumentation and ensures the radiation safety in the hospital. Hello, Ms. Rosa May Bellarmino. How are Hello. you doing today? Good afternoon. Okay. Hello. Clara? Okay. Yes, it's clear, Miss. So before we move to the questions, so before we start, do you have any introductions for mm. your talk, Miss? Um, my introduction is already in my talk. <laughs> So you may start oh. in a minute now, Miss. Thank okay, you. I'll share my PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Can you see it? Can you see it already? Yes, yes. Okay. It's clear. It's clear. Hi, I'm Rosa Mabilarnino. I am a graduate of BS Applied Physics around 2014, and I Started. I also I also was a part of the SOC Society, and um, I was an officer back then. So, like the other speakers, they also talked about the career path, and then I'm going to talk also about my experiences as a BS Applied Physics student in the University of San Carlos. Also, I'll be talking about the things I wish I knew before getting into the medical MS Medical Physics. Uh, program and then we'll answer why is a physicist working at the hospital so I, I i get it i got the question always and a physics grad ka nanong naka sa hospital so ganun so part of the talk will will answer that question so for my my career path this is from 2005 to 2020 and this is about 15 years of my life. So I started um, having interest in physics when I was in high school. I studied at the Cebu City National Science High School. And there is one particular experience that have led me to, to identify that there is a BS Applied Physics course in the university. So I was a 
participant, one of the physics um, amazing race events. Uh, this was me. This was my physics teacher back then. And then if you're an um, alumni of the USC uh, physics course, you would also notice that um, there are other three um, physics students who, who are in this picture. So the previous um, speaker, you know, Khalil, we, and um, we have two other uh, colleagues, Paolo Herrera and Justine Castillo. But unfortunately, Paolo um, migrated to Canada and then Justine Castillo um, shifted to a BS management course. Okay. So uh, the next part of my career is when I decided to study BS Applied Physics under DOSD SEI scholarship. So uh, one of the things that influenced me to take up the BS Applied Physics course under DOSD is that, you know, just like the other speakers, they were also enticed by the high uh, vision, um, not vision, like stipend, okay? So other than that, I already grew interest in physics with my high school background, but also I actually, I, I first, in I tried to take an exam, cut exam, but my parents won't allow me to go to Manila. So they always say, "Dirira ka sa Cebu." Okay, so dirira daw sa Cebu. So I I took up an entrance exam in BS Accountancy at the University of San Carlos, and then good thing I I had already the entrance exam result. So after I got the result from USD, I decided to to go to the University of San Carlos. So this was our life during our BS Applied Physics um, college life. So this was us, you can see, we were also, we have been studying at the lobby, physics lobby. So those who are currently enrolled in the BS Applied Physics course, you'll see this familiar faces. Also we have um, and the conference, um, SPP and SPVM conferences while on, while on our degree. Also, we have, um, we have entertained high school students like open house and um, exhibits. So this was me in the applied phys uh, medical biophysics laboratory. So we tried to be just normal, like the other college students. We also have the struggles with our problem sets. Also, we have sleepless nights, but yet we survive. So this was, these are pictures of how was our life as a physics officer. So we hosted events like the physics days, um, quiz bowls, also stargazings at the university's um, soccer field. And we were fortunate enough to be invited to the residence of Mr. Christopher Go. Christopher Go. And we had, I think this was during the Venus transit. So we were there to witness um, the Venus transit. And also we had our fundraising activities. So these were just some of the activities that 
were really helpful to me after you know managing the time being a student and then other organizations so it, it was really helpful as you and as as you proceed with your adult life so other than just studying you also play hard study hard play hard so as you can see this is um brother oh no dr romel bakabak so that time he was still a brother but now dr romel bakabak and then this you can see that um we also enjoy enjoy mind games but also we also enjoy physical games so physicists are really competitive also lumalabas yung pagka-nerd ng mga tao so you can see that our our teachers their jerseys have um the weird physics um math and physics symbols also in this upper right figure you can see me with um Claire Galon who will be your um speaker for the next um week and then there are other physical activities so people think that you know being a physics student is dull the life is dull but really it's it's not you'll have to make memories also so these were the occasional gatherings that we had when we were still in college so these were the pictures from our acquaintance parties and then our christmas um christmas uh, parties also you can see that we are also trying to be creative you know so next i've been part of the usc medical biophysics group so it was a good experience given that there is already a good support system you know together we celebrate science so this was during you know the delivery of our first um 3d printer in the lab so kana nagpa picture solo and also we tried to be responsible in a way so we tried to clean every now and then our lab and then this was there was also a picture upper right picture that you can see this was dr romel and then sir burns they were trying to set up at the dry lab and then you can also witness in the lab that there are your seniors are brainstorming okay so this was this picture here at the bottom this was the picture when we had um our proposal defense and then this was um another picture of me that was taken for the magazine in the university of san carlos so this is this is just part of our lives as um as researchers student researchers so beyond the usc medical biophysics group i was fortunate enough that the teachers back then um dr romel bakabak was very supportive in our research okay so this was me the picture the center is um this was me when i was trying to do my thesis so i i work with red blood cells and microfluidic devices so i designed a microfluidic device to investigate the electrophoretic mobility of the um, red blood cells okay um 
after that, I was fortunate enough also to, to be one of the BPI DOST Science Awardees. So we flew to Manila. And then one of um, my former colleagues and former um, lab mate, Ms. Verdad Agoto, also went there to celebrate this event with me and with, with Dr. Ramel. So aside from that, we were, because we were like a family. No? So whenever there is a BPI DOSD's um, awardee that's from the medical biophysics lab, I tried to entertain and accommodate them when I was in Manila. So you can see this was from 2017 and I'm not sure if this is from 2018, the lower picture. So, and aside from that, I've presented my research for, to other health courts. So other than the academic life I've had as a college student, I've also represented the physics with the USC pageant, Christmas King and Queen. So it was funny because I think it was the first time that we there was a representative from the physics department. So so to support and then other organizations that I have um, joined, like our stand USC, then Gawad Kalinga. There are times that when I'm free, I can join. I I I join the Capoeira events. So, but my my parents are very strict when. Um, you have to prioritize now. You have to prioritize your, your acad acad academic life, but still find balance. So, yun. You, as a student, it was, it was a good experience that to showcase and um, be part of other organizations, not just a piece of society. So, this was us in, during our graduation. So the question is, where, where to next? So some of us went to work in the industry. Some of us also um, studied master's degree in University of San Carlos. And for me, I, I directly studied to, I, I directly proceeded to um, get my master's degree in medical physics. It was also under the DOSD Aster DP. So, what led me to medical physics? So during my um, thesis defense, I was, um, my panelist was one of the, the first, actually the first medical physicist that I've known. So the lady in pink is my mentor. She became my mentor also, as you can see in the other picture now in the 2019, um, that is Ms. Grisette. But Miss um, Grisette introduced me to another physicist in, who was a graduate of BS Applied Physics in USC. And so he is one of the other medical physicists that are from USC. There is also one, Mr. Joval Rama, but I have not, I have not met him. So this is the life that we had when we were in graduate school. So this is USD, USD, um, the main building. That's the main building of USD. This is 
the the picture below that is one of the what is one events during our paskuhan so they they show they there is um and really see that the life outside different different universities have different cultures so it is nice to experience them also um, as medical physicists we are the students as students we also experience the clinical rotation so the bottom picture this was with um, when we were we were having our practicum at the University of Santo Tomas Cancer Center also the picture above is from when we were in St. Luke's um, Quezon City so sometimes we hold our classes at hospitals depending on our lectures so when I was in uh, Manila, I was able to participate also with other conferences that are held in Manila. So this is me at the PSCB, that's that's Philippine Society of Cell Biology. Since my study, when I was in grad, um, I was in my BS degree, was more of blood cells. So I think I was the first one to study blood cells at that time. We have different we have various topics. Some, some of my classmates were in microbiology with mango pectin, and then some were with optics, and some were also studying, like me, who studying microfluidic devices. So a little background with the MS Medical Physics program at the University of Santo Tomas. So um, just quick history. UST is the only, uh, only university that offers the medical physics program as of the meantime. So there are other universities that are also trying to build a program, but I think in the future. Okay. So the course is intended to meet the need for qualified medical physicists in the hospital department. So the course program palang kita na yung career and career options. So the course is intended to meet the need for qualified medical physicists in diagnostic radiology departments, radiation oncology departments, nuclear medicine departments, and also from regulatory agencies, not just the hospitals. Also, there are some who are in the academic institutions and are doing research. So I'll discuss about a little, little about why is it um, why is it required to have BS Applied Physics or BS Physics course? So there are some that I've met, yung radiation technologists that have asked me, Ma'am, pwede, pwede po akong kumuha ng medical physics na grad, um, MS degree? So I just tell them that you can, you can submit your application to the USD graduate school, but they will be the one to assess if you can you can admit yourself to the, the medical physics course. Okay, so why do we need um, physics background? Because these are some of our subjects. So some of our subjects, we have radiation physics, and then life, sci life science is anatomy and physiology. So you need um, the familiarity of the anatomy and physiology so that you can discuss this um, discuss when you are in 
discuss with the doctors when you are in the clinical setting. Also, we, dis we will tackle radiation protection, radiation biology, radiation dosimetry. So radiation dosimetry, um, we'll be discussing um, dosimetric equipments, instruments to measure, detect um, radiation. And then there is physics of diagnostic radiology, physics of nuclear medicine, physics of radiation therapy, physics of ultrasound, and non-ionizing radiation protection. So those are some of the major subjects. So radiation, since we have been mentioning radiation, radiation is all around us, natural or man-made sources. So in medical physics, we'll be tackling non-ionizing, both non-ionizing and ionizing radiation. But for medical imaging, we usually, we usually tackle ionizing radiation. So this is just an example that the different um, ionizing radiation, different types have different characteristics, such as difference in penetrability. So difference in the penetrability would also mean different in application. So this is detection and these are some of the radiation dosimetry equipments. So to locate contamination, we use GM survey meters. Also, we have in the in the hospital, we use and we wear the radiation badge. So that is to, to evaluate or to measure the doses that the staff receive during work time. And then this is, these are phantoms. This is an anatomorphic phantom, anthropomorphic phantom, sorry. And this one on the right is um, a water phantom. So water equivalent is water equivalent equipment or measuring devices, also water, um, water phantoms are there to mimic the tissues. Um, so the effect of radiation to the tissues or we sometimes measure the dose profiles of the machine using this equipment. So one of the major departments that would, um, would be um, your career option when you are a medical physicist is in the field of diagnostic radiology. So there are different medical um, imaging modalities, so there are also different image formation um, techniques. So this is just one of the things that from this you see um, the physics of um, x-rays. So interaction of photons with matter. So with interaction of photons with matter, we have photoelectric interaction and Compton interaction. For diagnostic radiology, we usually deal with energies that are in KEV. So at that um, energy level, dominant yung photoelectric interaction. So when there is a photoelectric interaction, usually there is an absorption of energy. So some of the um, photons that will be passing through the body will be absorbed and the, other will, the others will be transmitted or scattered. So because of this differential absorption, it would result to image formation. So that's the basic um, concept of image formations. So depending on the photon energy, also depending on the thickness, 
density, and atomic number. So as you can see, this is an example of a chest x-ray radiograph. So nakakita nyo yung difference in the structure. You can delineate which is um, the lungs and there's the ribs. So for air, attenuation of the x-ray is negligible. That's why it's, um, that area of your film is exposed, more exposed to x-rays. So for the bones, you can see that the ribs are white. So since they block the photons, also they, they absorb the energy, that's why the, the area of the film is um, less exposed. So another department that a medical physicist would serve is the radiation therapy or radiation oncology department. So the previous one is for diagnostics, so imaging. This part is more on, um, on treatment, okay, therapeutic. So radiation therapy is the use of controlled high-energy radiation, usually X-rays and gamma rays, to destroy cancer cells so that it can no longer continue to divide or multiply. So why do we need to, to destroy the cancer cells? The cancer cells usually proliferate non, you know, beyond the normal rate. So we have to, to stop the multiplication of these cancer cells. So through radiation, we destroy the DNA of the cancer cells. So the goals of radiation therapy could be curative or palliative. So curative, there are times that the tumors can still shrink. Also palliative, it is just to relieve the pain in the cancer patient. So there are times that um, it is just like spinal cord compression, like um, bone metastasis, so that we treat them for palliative reasons. So major indications for radiotherapy. So there are different cancer management techniques, right? So we have surgery, we also have chemotherapy, and then just one radiation therapy, or you can mix them. So for uh, radiotherapy, this is good for head and neck cancers, gyne gynecological cancers, prostate cancers, breast treatment, brain cancers, and palliation, um, pelvic malignancies also. So again, approaches, it could be palliative radiotherapy, just like spinal cord compression and bone metastasis. And then ra radical radiotherapy, it is when your radiotherapy treatment is your primary Primary lang talaga. So ad adjuvant is that you do it in conjunction with surgery. So like breast cancer, after they, they got surgery like mastectomy and lumpectomy, they proceed to radiotherapy so that we could treat the um, remaining, uh, remaining cancer cells that, are, that, were not, that were not removed during surgery or yung area lang to make sure that there is no proliferation of cancer cells. So the aim of radiotherapy is to kill all the viable cancer cells. But we make sure that the critical organs or the healthy tissues around is, is um, uh, minimized or if possible, you have to, you, you have to, to spare them, spare actually spare. So, 
um, we need accuracy and precision in this kind of techniques. So as you can see, this is just um, a very simple example. There's a target and then you can see that the beam directions are not hitting critical organs. So that's part of the medical physics um, planning treatment techniques. So radiation therapy modalities, it could be external and then be internal. So external, we have cobalt-60 machines, medical linear accelerators, and then for brachytherapy, it is when the radioactive source is placed or implanted near the target or the tumor. So as a medical physicist, you will be, um, your role is to maintain the quality, um, the quality of or the accuracy and precision of these machines. So there will be daily checkups, um, regular, weekly, and monthly, and annual quality, quality checks. So we make sure that the, the doses that were delivered to the patients are as accurate as possible. So these are just examples of about 60 machines. Um, this is from Cebu Doctors Medical Linear Accelerator. And then, as you can see, this is an example of um, CT scan um, image. So at this point, um, after you are, after the patient is being um, imaged, like CT scan or PET CT, um, images are sent to us. So the doctors will also see if there is a resident doctor, they will be the one to delineate or you will draw the structures that these are the, you will identify the structures. So that's why we need anatomy and physiology. You, you need to know that this is the bladder, this is the rectum, so on. So again, this is how you apply the process. So first we get the patient data. So if I buy patients, if I buy patient data, you have to customize the treatment. Okay. So this is picture of um, head, There's a head tumor, the brain tumor. So you can see that it is delineated. And then this is, so this is the target. So um, upon discussion with the radiation oncologist, we will show that this is the dose. He will determine the dose and what is the critical organs to be um, spared. Okay, so we calculate um, the treatment planning system. Um, okay, so this is the field shaping. So this is how the machine would shape. You can also have the blocks or you can have the multi-leaf uh, multi collimator. So these are parts of the system, the LINAC, that you have to also be careful because there are times okay, so, so treatment process, you have to um, restrict movement. So by restriction, we put um, immobilization devices. Okay? And then we set up the patient. And then after um, setting up the patient, pag nag-beam on, labas na yung um, red tech. And then very uh, quick lang, five, 10 minutes treatment. So they do that every day. So different um, radiation therapy um, treatment planning, different complexities, different yung accuracies. So this is just an example. So brachytherapy, 
Yeah, so these are just examples of brachytherapy um, images. So there's a breast implant using radioactive IR iridium wire. Okay, and then this is also another one is a gynecological implant. So this time, um, this would take longer actually. So you set up the patient and the gynecological oncologist will be there and then plan and picture usually. Well, um, other than the radiotherapy, radio-oncology department, medical physicists would also work for the nuclear medicine department. So we have safe and effective use of radioactive materials. So why are there radioactive materials in nuclear medicine? This is for diagnostic, so imaging and therapeutic. So not like um, radiation therapy, it's just for um, therapeutic purposes. So for nuclear medicine, we have both diagnostic and therapeutic. So most of the imaging, um, imaging procedures in nuclear medicine mm -hmm. is to determine functional, physiological um, properties um, of the uh, application. Okay. So not just like the diagnostic radiology, the, this is for those were for to, um, to determine anatomical anatomical um, functions, uh, ana anatomical organs. Okay. So these are just examples of imaging procedures in nuclear medicine. So example, MPI, myocardial perfusion imaging, you will um, see through this um, imaging process that there is uh, the difference in the blood flow and the muscles of your heart. Also for lung perfusion and ventilation, um, the doctors will see that there is um, difference in the air and blood flow going into and out of your lungs. So radiomunioassays, these are already um, kits. So the patient will be extracted blood and then from the blood, it will be tested using tumor, um, like just tumor markers. Okay. So um, common radionuclei labels, we have technetium 99. So this is favorable for bone scans. So, so for diagnostic radiology, your machine will be your source of radiation. However, for nuclear medicine, it will be the patient will be a temporary source of radiation. So you will be, the patient will be um, injected with um, radionucleides, and then they will be placed under the gamma camera or the imaging um, equipment. And then they will, um, after that, you can stay for a while in the hospital, but they are allowed to go out. So they are just temporarily um, uh, radioactive. So however, for the iodine-1-3-1 therapy, um, therapy cases, they will be usually staying in the hospital for two to five days. Um, after they will be, um, they will be taking iodine-131, that is for their usually thyroid cancer. Um, they are, their radiation level is monitored. So when their radiation level is already safe, they are allowed to go out of the hospital. So different radiation exposures, external and internal, and then radiation health effects. So there are different radiation health effects. That's why it, that's why it is important to study radiation protection for medical physicians. So we can have um, deterministic and stochastic. So deterministic that the levels will, will determine the degree of 
the effects, radiation effects. For stochastic, the, um, it would be the probability that will be increasing. The probability of getting cancer with increased exposure, it's, it's not um, deterministic. So general principles of radiation protection. So justification of practices, optimization of protection, and then limitation of doses. So these are just a sample um, basics of radiation protection. So for radiation protection, it is it is um, necessary that the benefit should out, uh, outweigh the risk. So if there is a pregnant woman and then she needs to undergo radiation therapy, she needs to consult with her doctor. And if the benefit is really essential, is, is higher than the risk, then we can proceed with um, some interventions. So optimization. So these are some of um, the concepts that we discuss also. So in the hospital, we also discuss radiation safety to the other allied health um, staff so that they will not be um, scared of radiation because some of the people are just scared of getting exposures. So those limits, this will be for those who need, need uh, necessary exposure. So we have different kinds of exposure. For um, patients, they get the medical exposure. For us, the staff, we have occupational exposure. And for the general public, we also have um, public exposure. For those in for significant others, SOs, ng patients who, who goes to the hospital with the patients. So we are so concerned about the exposure that they're getting um, with, in the hospital. So these are just radiation protection um, organizations. So while on my master's, I also um, had my graduate research um, in, in UP Diliman. So this is quite unusual. I, I am studying in University of Santo Tomas, but I did my research in the University of uh, the Philippines, Diliman, NIT, National Institute of Physics under Dr. Kapang. So how was it, um, how did it happen? So during SPP 2014, I've met some of my um, fellow alumni. Also, I've met some of the faculty and like Dr. Tapang. So they invited me to, to move to UP. Really, I, I tried to decide, I tried to think if, if I should move to UP. And then at first, I, I, I tried to, to get back on why I started. So at this point, remember, it is important to remember why you started. Okay, so I stick to my original plan that's um, going to the MS Medical Physics. However, I... I I, I told Dr. Tapang that I, if it is possible to do the research instead, I will not be transferring to another university, but I'll do my research in UP Diliman. So it was quite difficult actually. <laughs> yeah. So for um, SPP, actually I was, I, I volunteered, like I just helped out during, during the conference at UP, but after that, I, I transitioned from a volunteer to a SPP junior counselor. So it was to represent, because I was the only one who can represent 
both USD and USC that time. So for two years, I was um, SPP Junior Counselor. So yes, I was adopted by UP Sync Bio Optics Lab. So this was during my defense, 2019. And then actually there's a story behind it. I was, I was supposed to defend a week earlier, but my, I, I got bitten by a snake and then I was rushed to the hospital. That's why everything was moved a week after. So students of, graduate students of Dr. Tapang are also from different, um, different fields, but I was the only one who was from a different university. So some of the graduate students um, are from material science, meteorology, marine bio. So this was during my defense with former ASIC Peralta, um, engineer Bayani San Juan, Sir Marlon Texon, and Professor Egwolf. So this is on this picture. I I am this after after I had my defense 2019. But I started I started to be a graduate student researcher at the University of Deliman when I was in but when it was around 2015. But there were times na missing in action because it was really hard for me to balance both clinical, you know, there are classes in the, in the hospitals. Also, I have to go to UP for my research. So a little background. Actually, some of the graduate students that I worked with at the lab were um, working for Visor. And Visor was one of the trainings that I had when I was in college. So I, I've, met, I've met them. Um, this is the research that I, I did at UB Diliman. So this is just a brief background, brief um, summary. So I studied sound transmission of ultrasound, ultrasound waves, and that is to investigate an ultrasonic metamaterial. So what is an ultrasonic metamaterial? Okay, so at first, sound transmission. We'll discuss a little sound transmission. So if if sound is um, propagated in a medium and the, it will encounter an interface, um, part of its pressure wave will be transmitted and part of it will be um, reflected. So what is interesting about ultrasound is that ultrasound, um, when there is high, high ultrasound frequency in imaging, it will bring um, good spatial resolution. However, it's penetrability clinically um, is very poor. So there are times we use lower frequencies, um, ultrasound, but it will penetrate, but the resolution is, is poor. So there is this um, balance. So this is, there is, um, you, you need to determine which one, which frequency to use depending on the procedure that you're going to. So um, it could be nice if higher frequencies would also penetrate okay, to deep, deeper structures, organs. So for my study, there, um, I incorporated the, the um, idea of optical metamaterials. This was by John Fenty. So you can bend light in, in a way that you want it. So you, you want the output to be this way, so you have to put something in between. 
So just a brief, um, this, is, this is just the structures, unit structures. So for our study, it was done in Python and numerical simulation using FDPD. And then we studied the transmission spectra at the, a varied structure. So we repeat, so these unit structures are repeated to, to come up with a periodic metal material. So it is just a very basic um, study, but at, at some point we were able to um, see that there is a metamaterial behavior so, um, when the dimension of cells, unit cells, were smaller than the smallest wavelength. So this is what we got from a study aside from the transmission spectra. So other than being a graduate student research that was around 2015 to 2019, I, I, did, uh, I taught college physics at the University of Santo Tomas around 2016. So how was it um, being a medical physicist? Um, how was it, um, how was the experience? So I was given, I was given the opportunity to, to teach to pre-medical students. So my students were um, OT, PT students, also um, pharmacy students. And then I also, taught um, IS information technology students. So it was a good experience also. And so that is one of the career options. You can, you can go to the academy. So um, other than that, I went back um, after a few months, I, I got into a, a hospital, National Kidney and Transplant Institute. Um, I started to work as a junior medical physicist in the radiation oncology. So these are just a few pictures. So what we did at NKTI. So this is the example of another um, phantom. That's a water phantom. So what is the life of a medical physicist in radiation oncology? So they are very frequent. So most of the time we have overtimes because we need to finish patient treatment before we can do our quality checks. So most of the time, we get out of the hospital at 12 o'clock or midnight or like 2 p.m. 2 a.m. So these are just some of my physical, uh, our senior medical physicists and also my colleagues at NKTI. So we also attend to emergencies. So what are emergencies? There are times when the patient comes and then the doctor says, this is plan and treat. So you need to image the patient and then you treat the patient right away. So after I, I finished my degree in medical physics, that was 2019, I moved to Cebu Doctor. So when I was in, I was finishing my degree, I had a few job offers. Also there was one hospital in Davao, then also research assistant position, but I think Getting back to Cebu doctors was nice because my mentor, Mr. Dessa, was there also. And it was closer to home. So these were just some of the pictures that I have with um, uh, nuclear, nuclear medicine department. And I was in, working in Cebu Doctors University Hospital. 
So right now, I am working as a health physicist at Vicente Soto Memorial Medical Center. And I'm also taking up my clinical residency for nuclear medicine. So why is there a residency? So just like the doctors, when you, when you take up a spe um, specialization field, so you get a residency and you get a certification. So these are just a few pictures of me with the, together with the staff of nuclear medicine. So together with me, there, there are um, radiochemists. Um, they are also from University of San Carlos. And then the physicians, we, we work hand in hand with the physicians, engineers, and other medical physicists. Okay. So here's just a quick clip of what is expected of nuclear medicine. Um, Meet Dave. He's about to have a brain scan. Using the latest PET imaging technology, doctors will see Dave's brain at work. It's all possible because of tiny tracers, specially designed radioactive molecules. The PET scanner tracks the position of the tracers inside Dave, revealing his brain function in three dimensions. The tracers don't come from a stockroom shelf, each one has to be made fresh at a nearby laboratory. This is Dr. Miller. He's making the tracer for Dave's PET scan. First, he needs to produce the radioactivity using a device called a cyclotron. It smashes high-speed particles into ordinary atoms, transforming them into new radioactive atoms. Now the clock is ticking. The new atoms are giving off their radioactivity becoming plain old regular atoms again. There goes one. It means Dr. Miller and his team have to work quickly to build the tracer, a biological molecule. This is what makes PET so unique. The molecule could be anything, a sugar, a protein, a hormone. Each one is tailored to a specific function in the body and will show doctors where in the body that function is happening. Dr. Miller's team run special chemical reactions to create a tracer from a drug used in the brain. The new tracer must pass quality control. It is purified and checked that it will function properly. The tracer is ready to use. Good work, Dr. Miller. The precious custom-made molecule is rushed to the pet clinic. Just the right level of radioactivity is measured out. Then it's injected into Dave's bloodstream. There'll be a sharp scratch. It's not long before Dave's brain has absorbed the tracer and the clever chemistry gets to work. Inside Dave, an incredible reaction is taking place. The radioactive atom on the tracer loses its radioactivity, giving off a subatomic particle called a positron. It's just like the tiny negatively charged electrons found on all atoms, except that the positron is positively charged. So when the positron hits an electron, at just the right speed, they combine and destroy each other. The energy is released as two gamma rays that travel straight out of Dave's body in opposite directions. The PET scanner is like a big ring of Geiger counters. When it detects two gamma rays on opposite sides of the ring, 
the doctors can calculate where in Dave's body the tracer must be. By detecting thousands of these events every second, and with some clever computer processing, Dave's brain activity is revealed in three dimensions, something no other imaging technique can do. For Dave, it was just a small injection. That wasn't so bad, huh? All made possible by the incredible technology of the tracer. The potential for PET is enormous. Different tracers can detect cancer, test heart function, and even track Alzheimer's. The PET scan has revealed Dave's brain is functioning as it should. Dave, you're A-OK. -okay. In the next hour or so, his radioactivity levels will be back to normal. It's another successful job for the incredible tracers. But the work of Dr. Miller goes on as he continues creating new tracers to help those in need. or if you're a patient under nuclear medicine. And right now, since we have um, this pandemic, some of the medical physicists, most of the medical physicists are also considered frontliners. Since we serve um, in different important departments, such as diagnostic radiology, um, radiation therapy, since um, the cancer patients still need to, um, still need to, Oh, this one to get their therapy okay so other than that um as a medical physicist i've organized a campaign i actually organized a campaign so i i tried to reach out to to health medical experts since i i am not a medical physicist of not medical physician sorry so I'm, I'm not a medical doctor. So that's a difference. There's a difference between the two, the medical doctor or the medical physician and the medical physicist. Okay. So since this is a health crisis, we try to reach out to medical experts. And also um, we, were, we were giving out surgical masks since according to studies, it is, um, it is um, effective. So other than the fitted N95, um, it is effective. So we reserve N95 for the medical health workers, the medical professionals, frontliners. That's why we are giving the um, giving out the second test that is surgical masks. So that's the end of my talk. But I've I've seen questions on uh, on so. First of all, I'll just quick wrap up. So for those who are struggling right now, like me, I, I did struggle when I was in graduate school. Um, I, I wrote this when I was working on my timeline. Don't shrink your dreams, supersize your courage and abilities. To all the young women, to all the um, interest, uh, those who are interested in science, any field that you want to pursue, just remember that you supersize your courage and abilities. You take the risk. For those who want to study again, for those who are who are 
um, currently working but thinking of going to graduate school, take the risk. You, you got to you got to start somewhere. Okay. So, any other questions? So before we proceed to the questions from the live audience, Miss, I have also a couple of questions myself. Okay. So I would like to ask regarding the does the lack of citizens pursuing the medical biophysics field affected the current state of health sector in the country? Actually, it's not affected, um, not significant right now. It's um, the existence of medical physicists in the um, in the hospitals. They are we are there to improve um, the radiation safety programs, the quality programs um, with the different you know patient care. You know. It has just been a few decades that um, medical physicists are there to support. Um, of the healthcare system. So it would improve, but it for now it has not it's the it is not degrade ba yung paglak ng physicist. So so currently since we have very we are very few, most of us have consultancies. So we don't just have one hospital. So other other physicists that are accredited have um, have they can handle more than one hospital, so they are not there, but they go to the hospital once in a while. So, follow up question regarding that, Miss. What do you think are the necessary actions by the country or its educational system to increase the people who pursue in medical physics? Um, I think it would be nice if. Uh, more more universities will be um, will be offering this program, so not just in USD. Because in you you go to just like me, I, I went to Manila just to study medical physics. So how about those who are in Mindanao, who are also in Visayas? So it would be nice if um, there will be more universities. Thank you for that. And message. also, I forgot. I, okay, um, sorry. I know scholarships, scholarships actually. Um, for the information of everybody, there are some hospitals who offer scholarships since there are lack, uh, the lack of medical physicists, right? So some hospitals would offer BS applied physics grads. So there are um, there are hospitals na who can't get. Um, um, medical physicists, so they train um, as applied physics graduates. Okay, thank you for that, Miss. So we also have a questions from our live audience. So one of which is Grizel Adar. So Grizel is a student at the university under medical physics group also. So she would like to ask if is there a decent work opportunity after graduating under medical physics field if you're not planning to pursue graduate studies, yes. Again, uh, is that so? If you're not, if you don't want to pursue get, you you don't want to pursue graduate studies. Yes. So yes. you won't. There a decent you won't. Opportunity? You won't take MS Medical Physics. Yes, yes. Uh, ah, she okay. only want to go to the Medical, you want medical to work Physics Group. 
NCSE. Ah. She's a stu- student miss. Okay, okay. She's a student under Docmel also. And One then? thing to pursue medical physics. And then? In the university. She would like to ask if there is a decent job opportunity after graduating undergrad under BS Applied Physics, miss. There are a actually there there are a lot actually. If you don't want to, but the um, but in the Philippines, most of the positions doesn't um entail like you're really a physicist. Some of our some of our graduates that directly go to the industry like. Engineer, software engineer, and data scientist. Actually, there are already other fields that does not require you to take up graduate studies. But it is better. There are better opportunities when when you take up graduate studies. It will also help you um, specialize to a certain field. Yes, applied physics is very wide. That's why I didn't work right after when I graduated because I want to specialize first before I, I work. Thank you for that, Miss. So another question for our audience from Adrian Abak. He would like to ask okay. what are the things that you share or differ with radiologic technologists? Um, radiologic technologists. So they are, they are the ones who handle the patients and then they also handle the machines. But um, there is the lack of physics foundation for them. That's why um, most of them are not allowed to, really, I think they're not allowed to get the master's degree. Unless they, they try to like, study a few years of physics, I think that's, that's possible. So is that any other? <laughs> Thank you for that, Miss. Another question from the same person, Miss, is with regards to cancer therapy. So, is there any progress with regards to cancer therapy? There has been news about anti-cancer pills people in developed nations were taking. How would that work differently from the usual radiotherapy? Is that um, chemotherapy? Maybe it's a different. Like what I've discussed, there are major indications for radiotherapy. No, so there are cancers that are best treated with chemotherapy, like that. There are some cancers that are treated with surgery. So the existence of radio, uh, radiation therapy, I think, will not be affected in a way. It will add to the other op- op- options for cancer treatment. It might be, but um, radiation therapy has been long established. Another question from the same member of the audience miss is have you encountered a cancer patient with COVID-19? How did COVID change the patient's physiology and your corresponding protocols? For me I've not actually I haven't experienced um, have, um, treating a cancer patient. So because um, in the current uh, situation we have in the hospitals most of the most of the patients are um, tested first before they get into the hospital. So if if there's a patient that has COVID-19, they will have to prioritize the treatment for COVID-19. That's, and then they will consider what are their options for cancer treatment, I think. Oh, thank you for that, Miss. From Joseph 
we would also like to ask, what was your research that made you win the BPI DOST Science Award? Yeah. And can I you share a bit about your work? So I can show you, there's a slide. You can still see the slides now. Yes, miss. I, I didn't discuss everything. So I, I did the research with microfluidic. I designed a microfluidic device um, that would um, that I will be used to investigate the microelectrophoresis. So as you can see in this picture, uh, the one on on your right. I think on your right. So this was me during the PSCB 2014. So that time, I was, I think, the first one to, to study human red blood cells. So different storage times. So I studied different samples, like seven days old, 14 days old, um, 21 days old, 27 days old, and 35 days old. So we already know that there is um, um, reduced, re reduced effectivity for blood transfusion. So um, for my case, I, I look into this cellulated glycoproteins, and then this has um, because uh, negative charge around or negative field around your cells. So I, I, I used a microfluidic device. I designed it that I, when I placed the microfluidic device, uh, when I placed the blood samples in the microfluidic device, I connect um, one part to an anode and the other one to cathode. So I just observe under the microscope the electrophoretic um, mobility, the velocity of the blood cells. So that is with image processing also. And then I, I extracted the velocity. And there is the equation. It's Helmholtz, Helmholtz equation that I will be able to calculate the zeta potential. So from there, I checked the zeta potential of the blood samples of different age ages. And then I was able to determine the trend so it was just to investigate and also to showcase what can be done using a microfluidic device so it is nice if if it would be um, i'm not sure if there are already the medical biophysics group is already studying um red blood cells of um, dengue patients because it would be nice to study. That was our goal actually that I left for graduate school. So that's it. I'm not sure if who else studied who, who, who followed this who followed this trend in my study. So I hope I hope there there will be significant um, effect of this study. Thank you for that answer, Miss. So we also have a question from Charles. So are there still people who refuse to take nuclear medicine therapy treatments even when recommended? If yes, how do you usually deal with those kind of patients? I'm, I'm not sure because 
those who get into the hospital already are decided to go to the treatments or to oh okay i think i have one experience because um um there was a patient she's she's a uh, teenager so she has a thyroid cancer so part of the treatment will be to um give her iodine one p one so she was she was quite um if i remember it correctly she was quite hesitant um quite hesitant but her father also reassured that it is okay so it is with the help of the family members you have to explain it to them and then they will explain it to the patient so that was the only experience i think <laughs> another question miss is why do people commonly lose their hair under cancer therapy losing your hair <laughs> Um, it is not just traditional therapy, it's also chemotherapy, right? So yes. when, when our body has high radiation, also high toxicity from the, what is, our treatments, not just radiation, we tend to lose the hair. I, I'm, I'm not sure why. Really. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not... It's not a, it's not a determinist. I'm not sure. It's not, it's not a deterministic or stochastic. Okay. Okay, Miss. Thank you for that. So our last question for tonight is from Mr. Dexter. So what is your message to the young women who want to pursue a career in science? So um, I think right now there's no discrimination between being a woman of science and a man of science. Right? So if you're um, hesitant or you're, you're still trying to figure out what do you want to do with your career in, in science, you can try to reach out to other people in the society or your lab mates. Okay? Also, there are a lot of inspirational women in science. So you can try to check your lives so that just being a woman of science is is quite challenging no? not not everyone not everyone would see it but you know the, the sweat and tears if, or the mental breakdowns are are still there so you have to take the risk really if you really want to be a woman of science you have to be dedicated enough to take and you have to take you have to be um, you know, the, the, the saying that I, I said at the end of you supersize your courage and the ability. So that is for all, since there is no discrimination in this field. Okay, Miss, thank you so much for that. So unfortunately, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much, Miss Rosa, for such an excellent presentation and for joining us in an exploration to the possible career path in physics where we learn so much things about medical field and the cancer therapy and radiation therapy. So next week, we'll be joined by other, two, by other guests. For more information on this matter, just check out the USF Physics and Astronomy Facebook page. Also, we'd like to thank Edward Kaluya and Mr. Claude Sniza for sponsoring this webinar and to the organizers from the Carolinian Physics and Astronomy Society 
for making this event possible. Thank you. I'm JB and to the live audience, thank you for joining us today. Once again, thank you from the Physics and Astronomy Society. That's it. That's a wrap, guys. See you next thank week. You.